Nicholas Seagraves. Hey, Nick. Hi, Ryan. Oh, Nick. (laughs) It is episode 16 uh, that we are creating as we speak, literally, of the mean. Episode 16, it's entitled Oscars. Uh, That's a nickname for the Academy Awards. Uh, The Academy, uh, that's my dog walking in the background with her nails on the floor. She wanted to be a part of this. Um, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences might be, I don't know what the actual name of the Academy is, but it's those awards that we watch with the golden naked guy every year. Um, not to be confused with any other events at which there are golden naked men. (laughs) And, uh, there's been a little bit of a hubbub this year, which is why we decided to talk about it. Uh, A little bit of a, a controversy. And uh, I know you, you Nick, you never expect drama to come out of Hollywood, but here we are. And it's been a discussion over the last month or so since the nominees, the nominations came out. Um, In particular, the nominations, the nominees for the four best actor categories, best actor, best actress in the leading roles. Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress. No nominees who are African-American or African or whatever it is that you call someone who's African but lives in the United Kingdom, since most of our good actors come from the UK nowadays anyway. Uh, and so there there was a little bit of a, a little bit of a hubbub surrounding uh, said announcements of nominations. Uh, what was your perception of this controversy. Well, I mean, it was, it was kind of like last year, um, to a lesser Mm -hmm. extent. Um, well, I mean, last year's was lesser than Mm -hmm. this, but it was basically just to generalize, look at all these great performances we've had this year from, you know, and they list off a few African American actors or people of African descent, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're like, and none of these people have been recognized by the Academy. Mm-hmm. So what's going on? And you've had the whole range of the Academy is made up of like entirely old white dudes and like yep. Yep. blah, blah, blah. Or even to the extreme of like America doesn't value the achievements of people of African descent. So they mm-hmm. will never award it. Yep. It's, yep. but to just put it in its most basic level, it's, why? <laughs> yeah. And uh, Jada, Jada Pickett-Smith and others have come out and said, you know, we're not going to attend the awards this year. We are... There's my dog walking around again. Uh, we are not going to put up with this anymore. Maybe we should have our own Academy Awards so that we can recognize people of color who do outstanding work. Um, you know, the Academy is too old. The Academy is too white. Uh, by the way, the current... Uh, president or leader of the academy is african-american an african-american woman 
and they've put into place a process now that is going to totally revamp the way that uh, Academy membership works. It's no longer for life. You get 10-year sort of appointments to the Academy. Mm-hmm. You, um, They want it to be younger, uh, more diverse, more women, more people of color. It's something that um, a lot of people say is a long time coming. And, and so this is the scene of not one or two or three, but multiple discussions, multiple angles, multiple layers. Uh, um, some of our discussions that we've had on the mean in the past have been about one or two things. This is so complicated and has so many different philosophical facets to it that you and I probably will not get to every angle. But what we wanted to do today was really to unpack some of the most salient angles, some of the things that we see going on in this discussion about race, about representation, about awards, about voting, about recognition. And it kind of incorporates some of the elements from previous episodes. Um, For example, artistic credibility. Credibility was our first, our very first episode. Um, I think some of the elements of some of our discussions in terms of fandom naysayers, mm-hmm. um, snark, smarm, outrage. I mean, a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today um, are going to incorporate themes from previous episodes. So I'm going to give you first shot, since I think we both have a lot a lot of takes on this. When, when you try to go all the way deep, 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 deep down to the most fundamental, maybe the, we could say the cleanest level or the base level or the foundation level of this conversation of what enables this conversation to actually happen? Like what is actually going on here? What is the first angle that you take? Um, The first angle that I like to take is one of clarification. All right. So let's clarify what's going on in in Mm -hmm. what what kinds of terms, because we could clarify this in a lot of different terms. Yeah, um, just in terms of, like, what is an award, which is, it all sounds trivial when you say stuff like that. but Yeah, when you get down to, the like, the individual granular arguments that you, that you need to build a case, it always sounds weird. Mm-hmm. So what's an yeah. award? That's a, that's a question. What's an award? What mm-hmm. place do they serve in our society right now? Okay, you know? so what does an award do? Mm-hmm. And... How are these awards decided? So a a big thing that I've run into when I've read about this or heard people uh, speak on it is very few people understand exactly how Academy Awards are even, how they even come to be, I guess, is a good good question. So we're Um, talking about process here. And so the process. So for me, it's identifying what exactly is happening in terms of process and Mm -hmm. what are we even talking about in terms of like, I guess, object. Mm -hmm. um, So let's take those, let's take those one at a time. And I think both, Mm -hmm. both you and I have something to say about each of these. So it's not going to be like a Nick talks and Ryan talks. It's going to be, hopefully we both have something to say about most of these, but let's talk about what is an award. These are called the Academy awards. So for Mm -hmm. you, what is an award? An award is something that a group of people normally mm-hmm. um, 
give out to people to recognize achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess mostly achievement. I, I can't really think of anything else, but they tend to be when we give out a, when we give out Oscars, Grammys, um, even I would say sometimes like war medals. Yeah, they they are given out for specific types of achievements. Would you agree with me that awards that that awards are a recognition of virtue? Yeah, in like the in the classic, like in the in the same root word of like virtuoso. Yeah, so virtue, like the the Aristotelian virtues of courage, prudence. Um, I forget the other ones. There's four major ones: courage, prudence. A couple other ones. Uh, Patience, I think, is one of them. Um, So for me, achievement, when we say achievement, I really see it as kind of to go to the Alistair McIntyre after virtue, whose justice, which rationality. Um, It's a community agreeing that something or someone symbolizes a certain virtue that that community has agreed upon is a virtue. Yes, and it's, and I think another really important thing is that it's a public recognition. Yeah. So it's a society of people who are saying, we value this, or mm-hmm. what you have done is of great value to mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely like a validation. Values, validation, yeah. virtue, mm-hmm. achievement. These are things that a community of people says we are recognizing that you represent the best example of this thing that we say we value as a community. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what do the Academy Awards, what do the Oscars you get receiving the statuette, what does that symbolize actually today? Like, what do you think? So we've said in sort of the ideal of what an award is said to be, and maybe mm-hmm. ought to be, I'm not sure. Um, but what is it actually functioning as today in our society? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's two angles to it. Um, on one hand, there is still an element of like artistic merit. I think the Academy is an exclusive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and receiving Academy Award is, I think, viewed by most people as the highest Mm-hmm. Award a director, actor, screenwriter, anyone involved with film mm-hmm. can receive. Mm-hmm. And on a more uh, pessimistic level, it has a lot to do with sales. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure you've noticed when you look at a DVD case or if you're reading something online on Amazon or something, it will say nominated for blah, blah, blah yep. Oscars yep. and one best actor and one, mm-hmm. and, you know, and there's a whole industry of people who will go through and watch mm-hmm. all the, the best, uh, best films, all the best mm-hmm. actor, all the best actresses. Okay. So and, there seems to be two things you're talking about. One is sort mm-hmm. of like an economic advertising kind of an angle and we can unpack that. Mm-hmm. Um, but another one is this, did you ever watch, um, the dead poet society? Yeah. Okay, so at the beginning, when Mr. Keating is teaching them and they're reading about what poetry is, mm-hmm. um, in the front of their textbook is this argument for what a good what a good poem is, and it's a graph, and um, on one axis of the graph is the the beauty of the expression, like how how good the the form of the poem is, 
Mm-hmm. And then on the other axis is the importance of its subject matter. Um, yeah. And then you ma- you can make a graph. You can kind of say this many up, this many over, and then you you shade in that area, and that's that's how good a poem is. Now uh, they tear that page out of their book, <laughs> yeah. and they don't read the book, and and they all stand on their desks and say, "Oh, Captain, my Captain," which is great. Totally in favorite uh, one of my favorite movies. But I think when most people talk about why something should win an Academy Award, I think a lot of people, like in the back of their mind, have that kind of two-axis system going on. One, how artistically was this piece of art executed? Two, how important is its content? And I think my evidence for that is that the politics of Hollywood oftentimes seem to influence, I don't think many people would argue against this, influence which movies are quote-unquote Oscar-type movies or Academy Award-type movies, things dealing with issues of sexuality, uh, transgender things have been in in the the Hollywood kind of left of center zeitgeist in the last couple of years. So we Mm -hmm. um, we get transparent, which I've heard is a great series. Um, well-made series, but we get transparent winning awards. Eddie Redmayne is, is nominated this year for the Danish girl, uh, about a transgender, um, woman. And so clearly we've seen as Hollywood's politics have, have sort of said, well, we're going to deal with this issue. We're going to deal with this issue. We're going to deal with this issue. Um, clearly there seems to be some part of that, let's say the X axis of the graph that determines that the importance, the political importance of this matter, either being against the Iraq war or um, being uh, for um, the rights of of uh, gay and lesbian people or being for the rights of people of color, that those, those political impulses, or talking about how bad the Holocaust is, those political mm-hmm. impulses have at least influenced, if not partially determined, which films and performances get nominated, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it goes to show you how um, inseparable substance and methodology can be sometimes. Mm-hmm. So the methodology, how they go about getting these re- awards isn't some type of elite critic group that goes in with like a rubric and sees a film and checks off, you know, beat, does it have a person of color in the cast? Does it yeah. have a blah, blah, blah? Mm-hmm. What it is, it's, it's individuals mm-hmm. um, casting ballots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and of course, that can be impacted by discussions, critics that everyone mm-hmm. reads, you know, the kind of the things that kind of influence you without it being someone forcing you or arguing that you ought to vote for such and such a picture. Also, I live in Los Angeles, so I see the big billboards that studios take out to say for your consideration um, to try to influence voters um, for the various Mm -hmm. academies. Yeah, exactly. So there is obviously an element of influence going going on with the members of the academy, but at its most fundamental, they are individual human beings who are making a judgment of taste. And mm-hmm. so um, things like transgender issues or other buzzwordy things come about because it's not just, oh, that's what's really important for the Academy. 
it's that's what's really important for most people in the in- entertainment industry for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. So and um, I won't say that just because a movie is about gay rights or about transgender issues or about whatever the political moment is about you know, anti-fracking mm-hmm. or whatever it is. It's not just that because there's a lot of movies about those issues that are really crappy that never get the notice of the Academy at all. It's yeah. you know, the Danish girl, which seems like a beautifully made movie. And Eddie Redmayne is a, is an astonishing actor. <laughs> just, just, mm-hmm. I mean, he won last year for uh, the theory of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you, you know, you get these issues, which really seem to influence things, but it also seems like the quality of the filmmaking. I mean, you get Paul Thomas Anderson getting nominated almost every time he makes a movie because he's a great filmmaker. He, 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 he tells stories in a very compelling way, even if those stories aren't about the politics that you would like them to be about. Like Boogie Nights was about the porn industry, you know, like, and it mm-hmm. wasn't like, it wasn't like porn is so bad. It was, a, you know, it was about people in the porn industry. And, yeah. and so you get these, you get films that get nominated. Not, I, I feel like there's a, there's like a, like a spectrum. Like some films get nominated because they're pretty good and they're really touching all the political buttons. And then you get films on the other side of the spectrum that are really, really good. And maybe they're touching some political buttons. And then like the, the money spot is, you know, both. If, if a, mm-hmm. if a film is amazingly well-made, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great piece of art. Even if you, if it were the opposite political message and it's, it's tickling, you know, it's itching, itching, scratching the itch of the Academy voters politically. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I, I think all of it is to say that there obviously is a cultural political factor to this, which we said when we were defining our terms, you know, like yes. when you, when you say an award is a community recognizing an individual, then obviously cultural political things become super important. Yes. Um, which I think is why there is such a backlash. Uh, I think some people view the Academy Awards uh, um, as America giving a stamp of approval on something. Yeah. You know? So when no black actors or actresses are even nominated, I think some people read that as, well, obviously America doesn't see the value in uh, black or... um, Latino or Asian or whatever actors being uh, being validated. They they're, they mm-hmm. aren't being validated. Mm-hmm. But like you just said, is is where the complications come in. So as you said earlier, there are tons of movies. I'm sure if I you know went on IMDb and looked for movies with a majority black cast and whatever. Um, so a good example would be like White Chicks. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is a movie. It's about race. It's mm-hmm. about the interactions between people of different races. It's made by people of color. It's made by people of color, and it didn't get an Oscar nomination. Now the word "snub," which is thrown around a lot mm-hmm. here, so it's when people say they deserve to be recognized, but they weren't. Yeah, like they this was snubbed. I don't think anyone was like white chicks was snubbed mm-hmm. for an Oscar nomination. Yeah, because no one was making the argument that it was a great film. Yeah. So obviously there's a whole other uh, factor in here, which is artistic merit in terms Mm -hmm. of like, so not only me and then not only are we talking about representation, but we're also talking about the right kind of representation, I guess. Yes. Uh, And I've heard people say things like, 
more nuanced critics of it saying things, you know, perhaps there were only three movies this year that had African-Americans or people of African descent in them that were worthy, Mm -hmm. but that's actually the real problem is Mm -hmm. the fact that we can only name three. Yeah. And that's where, um, both the star of Creed, one of the movies that's that's gotten a little buzz in terms of just being a good movie. It really did well in the box office as a good story. Ryan Coogler is a, mm-hmm. is a rising star. He directed um, Fruitvale Station. But the star of the movie Creed uh, is also the star of uh, Fruitvale Station and one of the stars of The Wire and of Friday Night Lights, Michael B. Jordan. And uh, Michael B. Jordan has said one of his issues is that there's just not enough parts to go around for black men. Um, so you end up, you know, a lot of black men end up fighting over very few parts. So basically the argument is not enough movies are being made about, about black people. The other part of the argument is um, from Wesley Morris, who writes for the New York times. Now he used to write for Grantland and the Boston globe um, before that, uh, probably my favorite film critic. He says, you know, yeah, I get the racism thing, but also it's not that the Academy had a bunch of options and just didn't pick them. It's that movies like Creed and straight out of Compton were, um, were not marketed by their studios studios to the Academy. They weren't, Mm -hmm. you know, the screeners weren't sent out with a four year consideration. So what Morris and, and Jordan and others are saying is that the real racial dynamic that needs to change is the way that studios work, the way that movies are made, marketed, thought about, um, and that statistically, if they're not thought about differently, you're going to get these years where nobody is nominated, mm-hmm. which I think is a more fair um, critique than the critique of, well, the Academy is just racist because the Academy is made up of a bunch of different people. And if they only had a couple of options this year and they didn't think anybody kind of rose to the occasion um, in a minority group, then it's not really on them. It's on Hollywood itself and on how movies are made or not made. And I wanted to share some. I wanted to segue into some mathematical discussion here okay? Um, because I did some of my own rough calculations and I just took the last 15, 16 years um, since 2000. I started in 2000 since we know the history of racism in the United States. We know the history of racism in Hollywood. We know that African-Americans and other actors and actresses of color have historically not gotten the same, the same um, opportunities and probably still don't. And I'll share some numbers with you. So assuming that, Hollywood should be a reflection of the United States of America. Let's just assume that, even though that's not really the case anymore because we're playing Mm -hmm. to the world now. And assuming that um, each class or or gender or race has equal amounts of talented people that ought to be recognized for their merit, we should expect that 13% of Academy Award nominations and wins... Uh, should be for African-Americans, right? Because African-Americans are about 13% of the population of the United States. So so in that kind of a a fair world, right? In that kind of a Rawlsian world, that's what we should expect. So since 2000, uh, there have been, out of 80 nominees, there have been 10 Best Actor nominees, uh, 10 Black Best Actor nominees. That's one-eighth. One-eighth is 12.5% of nominations. So that's pretty pretty close to what we would expect from a, from a just society with all those things that I just brought up. And there have been three winners, three out of 16 winners of the Best Actor Award have been black men. And that's uh, 18.75% of winners. Now, I could be wrong in these numbers. Maybe I missed somebody. This was just a count I made 
today, uh, earlier this morning on Wikipedia. So that's actually an overrepresentation in terms of mm-hmm. uh, black uh, men winning Best Actor. So those are my calculations. It's a small sample. It's not statistically significant, but let's just say this is what we were looking for. Now, the people who should have a real complaint in the industry are actually black actresses, mm-hmm. black lead actresses. Um, of the last 80 nominees, four have been nominated for Best Actress, and one has won. That was Halle Berry. Um, so that's a 5% nomination and a 6% win percentage. That's, that's less than half of what it should be under the circumstances that I laid out a couple minutes ago. So lead black actresses are getting underrepresented in terms of percentage of the population. Now, when you go to supporting actor, black men are underrepresented with only 7.5% of the nominations and 6% of the wins over the last 16 years. But Black actresses are a bit better represented. Um, they've gotten 11%, a little bit over 11% of the uh, supporting actress nominations and 25% of the wins. So way <laughs> overrepresented with the wins. So one of the things that I thought about is maybe this plays into the, you know, the complaints that we hear sometimes about like what white standards of feminine beauty because leading actress roles tend to be sexualized. They tend to, you know, women are still being objectified by Hollywood, you know, shocker. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still about, you know, being this beautiful woman. And, and maybe this, the, there are these very real standards of like white female beauty that are still at play for leading actresses. Whereas, I mean, what we still think of as a leading man much of the time is the the guy with the gun, the macho guy, the soldier, the cop, the, the whoever. And black guys are just as macho in the public consciousness as anyone else right like it's not Mm -hmm. like people are like black men are so effeminate like that's not usually Mm -hmm. like a like a pop culture meme that we see and so my kind of tentative thought about this is that it's been easier um not easier it's been more common for black men to win in a leading role and for black women to to win in a supporting role because of some of these kind of cultural stereotypes about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that's good. Um, but at least some of the time black people seem to be well represented, at least in the leading actor and in the supporting actress categories, mm-hmm. um, not in the supporting actor and leading actress categories. They are underrepresented there. So there's a real complaint. Now, what I will also say is, because of the way the Academy Awards are structured, men and women, there is no gender gap, right? There, yeah. Every year there are 10 women nominated and 10 men nominated. Um, I'm not saying there are no gender roles, gender norms, gender stereotypes, but there are 10 females nominated every year and there are 10 males nominated every year. Um, where we really see the gender gap is in all the other categories like composer, best director, even producers of films, although there are more female producers than directors. So, I mean, it's way probably if you wanted to make a case about injustice, you would say Mm -hmm. female best director nominees. Yeah. The least representative category that we have in, in the Academy Awards. So when you think about the math of it, when you think about that angle, what, what comes to your mind or when, when you just listen to me kind of list all of those percentages, what, what do you think about? Well, um, Kudos on research. Good job on that. That's actually super interesting. Um, but, like, with most things that have to do with statistics, it's always a little bit more complicated, you know, mm-hmm. than what we're saying. So, 
for the most part, the sample size alone, you know? So if we were doing a statistical analysis of something and we had 80 samples, to find a long-term trend in that Mm -hmm. would be really hard. So you usually need a thousand. Yeah. So like a counter example would be like, well, right now over the last 10 years, that has been the case that these people are overrepresented or underrepresented, but perhaps over the next 50 years, the number mm-hmm. will get closer and closer to uh, 13%. And I also think, just to clarify, we are definitely not saying that for true justice to happen, that black and uh, black male and female actors should be, be only receiving 13%. Oh, yeah. What I'm saying is that. I think that that is an assumption a lot of people make. An assumption a lot of yes. people make is that your races like people say well we only have one black senator or mm-hmm. you know or we you know or we or we only have seven female sen or eight female senators or whatever the numbers are and what people say is that's not representative of our population mm-hmm. and so assuming that all people are all people groups are equally gifted at 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 things which we know is not true when you look at sports for example mm-hmm. assuming that all people are equally gifted and that everyone gets the same kind of chance and shot at, you know, that everything's fair, assuming everything's fair, which it's not, but assuming everything's fair, this, these are the kind of thing in, in assuming everyone's equal. These are the kinds of numbers we should be seeing. And so the reason I brought those numbers up is just to show you how close or far we are from the non-reality that people posit when they say, well, this isn't fair. There should be more mm-hmm. like, cause when, when black people say, or when Jada Pinkett Smith says, hey, where are all the black people? She's saying, I know there's more than 0% of black people who are actors and actresses. Yeah. You know, like, I, I just know that. So the fact that we have 0% is upsetting to us. Mm-hmm. And I think, but... that, I think that white people would be upset if 95% of the best actors and actresses were non-white. I think white people would be like, we know that we're a larger percentage of this population. Yeah. Um, but I also think someone with a little bit of a broader view, like I said, would would say, hey, well, there's also a possibility that, you know, I mean, obviously this isn't very true, but there is literally a possibility that next year it could be two-thirds black act- actors. Well, yeah, and- I wanted to bring up, like, even a 50-50, let's say that black people made up mm-hmm. 50% of actors, 50% of Hollywood, 50% of the United States of America, and we're positing this fair world. If you've ever flipped a coin, just flip a coin, flip a coin, flip a coin, there are runs that you get of four or five heads in a row or four or five tails in a row. So mm-hmm. even at 50%, small sample sizes can make it seem like it's not 50%. And, and I'll yeah. give you I'll give you an example. It's it's relatively improbable that you're going to get a 21 when you're playing blackjack, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen most of the time, which is why when you get blackjack, you're like, yay! Or when you get 21 f- through some other combination of cards. Well, I had a really bad weekend in Vegas about a month ago, and at one table, I'm playing five dollar blackjack. At one table, we had a dealer get four 21s in a row, and then later get three 21s in a row. Mm-hmm. That is extremely, you would think, improbable. But even with the probabilities of whatever percentage chance you have of getting a 21, which I'm going to bet is a lot less than 13%, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You can get these runs, and you you feel very unlucky at the time. You get these runs, or you feel very lucky if it's you, where there's 21, yeah. 21, 21, 21, 21, 21, 21. And so the way math works and the way probabilities works and statistics, if this was all blind or if this was all just and fair, if everyone was equally talented, the way that a 13% probability works is that sometimes you're going to get two out of five nominees in a category, and sometimes you're going to get zero out of five if everything was fair and just, which it's not. Yeah, because it's still a probability. Yes. Because of all the because probability is difficult to comprehend yeah. because nothing is a single factor issue ever. Yeah. So it could be that one year somehow, you know, all these great movies who have been in production for the last five years, they all get green lighted last year, they all come out this year, and the seasons were good and there weren't other huge hitters like for example this year we have mad max which is a giant epic that incorporates issues of masculinity and femininity and war and justice and it's a huge movie Mm -hmm. also an action movie so that's weird for the oscars yeah it was well made well received people saw mm -hmm. it great performances and then we also have the revenant which is a huge just stylistic masterpiece well and thing. it's it, it's the epitome of an oscar movie right yeah like it's 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 well made it's by a non-english you know native director it's got all the right actors it's got the native american kind of angle to it it's got mm-hmm. everything going for it the revenant was de- you know not designed i'm not going to say that in was like i'm going to make an oscar movie but but mm-hmm. if you were going to genetically engineer an oscar movie this would be this would be in, the, yeah. in, in that wheelhouse. And you also have the Danish scroll, which you said earlier, which has all of these elements that also mm-hmm. check the boxes. Spotlight, um, which is pro-journalist, anti-church. Mm-hmm. Um, you have crusaders. Bridges, yeah. Just the whole, you know, Catholics are bad. Mm-hmm. Bridge of thing. Spies, which has Spielberg and Hanks, who are darlings of the Academy. Yeah, and also is a war movie. So, and I heard it was um, actually pretty good. I didn't see it, but I heard yeah. it was good. Yeah, I mean, I have no interest because it sounds boring as hell, but I'm sure it's a great Oscar movie. All of that has to say. So these are factors that have nothing to even do with the racial discussion at all. Yeah. Um, And like I said before, the years when Chicago won Best Picture or when Slumdog Millionaire won Best Picture. Crash. Or Crash. Oh, God, Crash. I'm sure if Straight Out of Compton was released that year and they actually did campaigning, it would have made a huge impact. Yeah. It's, so there's already all these other factors going on in there, which like, which are which span more than an Oscar season, you know. So, yeah. for example, The Revenant wasn't thought up in January and executed in February yeah. and then released in November. Like mm-hmm. this is a movie that has taken at least a year and a half to get things rolling. Yeah. So, the, well, like, let, let me let me go back to a point that you said that I think I think I have a really good analogy for uh this year's political primaries mm-hmm. um so someone was being interviewed i think it was marco rubio was being interviewed and someone was talking about the competition and you know republicans sniping at each other and blah 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 and and he said listen we have such a stacked field this year compared to other years i mean bob dole he didn't say this but bob dole mm-hmm. was the nominee in 96 and everyone knew he was going to get destroyed by bill clinton like he was kind of like a you know, kind of like a sacrificial lamb. Just we have to nominate somebody, nominate Bob Dole. Mm-hmm. This cycle, 
you had like 13 people who are legitimate candidates and Donald Trump. Um, you, you had so many people, you had multiple term governors of major states who, by the way, dropped out early, like Rick Perry, Bobby Jindal, you had people who have done really, really, um, important policy work, senators, multiple term senators, people with big followings, people raising a lot of money. And, and Rubio was pointing out, he's like, in another year, five or six of us could be the front runner if it was a weaker field. But it's the strongest mm -hmm. field we've seen in a very, very long time. It's not a two or three man race. There are seven, eight, nine, ten legitimate people who are serious people. And then Donald Trump and mm -hmm. ben, ben Carson, who's I don't know why Ben Carson should be president. I'm not sure. Um, mm -hmm. He seems like a great dude, good neurosurgeon. I'm, I'm not sure why he thinks that, that he should be president. But um, so you have this field that's so strong. And then on the other side, you have O'Malley, who just dropped out because he got 1% in Iowa. And then you have a 74-year-old Democratic socialist who's not a Democrat. Yeah. And you have Hillary Clinton. And so, like, what if Hillary Clinton had to go up against... What if Bernie Sanders, let's put it this way, what if Bernie Sanders had to go up against 2016 Hillary Clinton, 2004 John Kerry, 2008 Jonathan Edwards, 2008 Barack Obama? Bernie Sanders would not mm -hmm. be getting 50% of the vote. No. He would not. No. He would be getting 1% of the vote because he'd be a joke. The only reason mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders isn't a joke is because you don't have a young Jimmy Carter and a young Joe Biden and, and uh, you know, a young pre-scandal Jonathan Edwards and all these other people, right, who, who would have made the field a really difficult field to run in. The field was wide open this year because people are like, well, it's Hillary, right? And yeah. so the year Crash won was a joke and Shawshank Redemption did not win the Academy Award for Best Picture because it had to go up against like the murderers or it had to go up against like Pulp Fiction and like Forrest Gump, like it was, yeah. it was like, it's not fair. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, it's not fair if we could reallocate and re-rank movies and have them compete against movies in other years, I'm sure we would get a totally different list of winners. I'm not sure Chicago would have won best picture. I'm not sure some of these, some of these movies would have won best picture, but you have, you fight in the year that you come out, you know, you, you, you fight the competition that you have and it's a stronger field this year. It's like, it's, it's a stronger field in terms of like the Revenant could have won multiple years. Spotlight would be in contention multiple years. Uh, I, I think you could make an argument for movies like the Danish girl, movies like room Brook, Brooklyn, mm -hmm. you know, these movies that are garnering a lot of attention. Um, so it's a, it's a rough year. It's not a year that you're going to have, you know, crash winning. Yeah. And, and that, all of that to say, that's just a whole area of factors which can't even be reduced mathematically. You know what I mean? So, like, how would you even yeah. create a matrix in which you could see, like, okay, so there's the huge heavy hitters like Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump, Silence of the Lambs, you know, all these big 90s movies are, like, a James Cameron movie that has, like, tasteful nudity in it, I guess, so, like, Titanic, like... You, you, there's not even a gradient scale to even put those in there. So it'd be impossible to be like, let's just look at this from a statistics point of view. Why are there not, why is there so such little representation? Because there's already another factor involved and it's what we've been saying this whole time, which is artistic merit and the political factor, not just in the sense of, oh my gosh, let's try to make an Oscar movie, but the political sense of like, 
hey, this year, you know, like, I'm sure if Spotlight came out, um, when was the big, like, explosion of, like, Catholic priests? It was 2002. Like, if that would have came out, like, let's say 2004, so, like, two years to let the shock wear off, but Mm -hmm. not enough to let the anger wear off, I'm sure it would have been a much more controversial film than it is right now. You know, like, and so there's, there's, there's tons of things that are involved in this, uh, especially films like the Hurt Locker, as we're like, kind of being, we're like getting over Iraq, you know, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So there's, it's because these things are giant cultural products, every part of our society kind of plays into it. And I mean, I don't want to play my cards, my cards too soon, but my most fundamental thought on this is the Oscars should be viewed as a litmus test are a symptom of larger uh, movements in our culture and not the other way around. I don't think the Oscars can be like, if we can just get more black nominees in the Oscars, then finally there will be, there will be less Ferguson stuff. You know, like, I, I think that, yes, getting into a culturally elite institution and changing it from the inside is part of the, the process of change. But I think a lot of times when I hear people talk about it, it's they use the word representation, which, as we just discussed, I don't really know what they mean. Mm-hmm. Because if there were only four Best Picture nominees, then um a movie about African-American drama should win and even be nominated like once every three and a half years or something to make it yeah. representative. Which they have um, opened up the, the best picture mm-hmm. um, categories now for the last several years. And it could be up to 10 depending on something meeting a threshold. But just as a reminder, Nick, that life's not fair because we've been positive yeah. this like fair, not fair. And like, you know, it depends on the year. Life's not fair. Shakespeare and love beat Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Okay? Loved Shakespeare and love. Cute movie. Should not have beat Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. It should not have. Like, and it's a, t- you know, it's a tough, sl- it's a tough sled. Let, let me also go back, just, just so that you know, and, and, and read you a couple of tough years. Here we okay. go. Life's not fair, Nick. 1994. Mm-hmm. Forrest Gump beat... Four Weddings and a Funeral, Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show, The Shawshank Redemption. Okay? It's yeah. a rough year. It's a really, really rough year. All right. 1990. Dances with Wolves, Beat, Awakenings, Ghost, The Godfather Part 3, and Goodfellas. The fact that Goodfellas mm-hmm. didn't win Best Picture, I'm not sure how that works. Yeah. Um. So... Not every year is the same. Not every year has the same oomph. Uh, the, the one I wanted to, to read to you was um, when Crash won. Crash beat Brokeback Mountain, Capote, Good Night and Good Luck, and Munich. It just mm-hmm. wasn't a tough. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a tough year. I mean, Brokeback Mountain was pretty good. Capote was good. Good Night and Good Luck was fine, but that, that was never going to win. And Munich was fine. And, and so it's like. Not every year is an even representation of what Hollywood is putting out. And so I think that brings me back to sample size. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's about sample size and sometimes it's about being patient over time. Here's what I would ask. Here's one of the things I would ask. When someone is outraged, 
about something about a, a statement like no black people were nominated, no Hispanic people were nominated, no women were nominated. I would ask a couple of questions. My first question is, okay, wh- who should have been nominated? Mm-hmm. If you think it's Michael B. Jordan and Creed, that's fine. That's a decent argument. But what you have to do is you have to say, all right, was Michael B. Jordan in Creed better than the people who were nominated? You have to actually have that conversation. Was he better than all the other people that were nominated? And did he have, would he have had enough support? Now, this is considering, this would be considering that his name was even put out there by his studio, which sadly it was not. And I think maybe the biggest snub of that movie was Ryan Coogler, the director, uh, not getting nominated for Best Director because apparently it's a revolutionary way of filming a boxing movie, like mm-hmm. a really, like a really interesting way. And the um, the director of photography probably should have gotten nominated as well because the way they decided to film it um, was really interesting and really kind of groundbreaking. But you have to ask yourself the question when you look at The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Room, and Spotlight, those were the, those were the films that, that made the cut. You know, is Creed a better movie than those movies? Is Straight Outta Compton mm-hmm. a better movie than those movies? You know? And I think the reason why it's hard to come up with an answer to that is because there isn't an answer to that. I mean, there is an answer to that in terms of Personally, yeah, everyone's opinion. Yeah, personally, I don't give a shit about boxing ever. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. million dollar, million dollar baby is mm-hmm. great because of the jokes that it made in my mind, <laughs> and like the jokes that people made about it after it was made. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it. I probably never will. I'm sure it's a great movie. It's the same thing with Bridge of Spies. Like, for me, I don't. War movies are a hard sell for me just because just naturally who I am as a human being, mm-hmm. I'm not super interested in it. Mm-hmm. I'm much more interested in something like Mad Max Fury Road mm-hmm. or The Martian mm-hmm. or even something that's more of like a type of atmospheric film like Brooklyn mm-hmm. or The Danish Girl. I'm much more interested in that, but... If I was an Academy voter, hopefully the Academy has a bunch of people who are different than me. So I'm sure some people are like, yeah, man, boxing movies, this is my jam. Like, I love it, can't get enough, whatever. But for someone to ever say, like, in public, this person was snubbed because they obviously did a better job Mm -hmm. than this other person... You, you can just never say that. Like, yeah. you, you, well, and, and let me take yeah. that seriously. Like genres yeah. of movies or lanes. Like when we talk about mm-hmm. the, the Republican presidential nomination, we talk about the libertarian lane, the evangelical lane, the outsider lane, the establishment lane. There's all these lanes, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you, at least with the actors who got nominated this year, I'll tell you why each nominator got acted or each actor got nominated by their lane. Brian Cranston got nominated for Trumbo. Trumbo is a movie about the blacklisting of Hollywood people during the communist sort of witch hunts with Senator Joseph McCarthy back in the day. Mm-hmm. Brian Cranston's a good actor. He, he's, he's in the Hollywood making a movie about itself lane. Mm-hmm. That's a lane almost every year. Yeah. Michael Keaton was nominated last year for Birdman in the same lane, right? So people get nominated for that lane often movies about Hollywood. Uh, Jean Dujardin won in 2011. Uh, he was nominated for that lane. It's the Hollywood lane, the Hollywood 
guess what? People like to look at themselves in the mirror, and Hollywood is no mm-hmm. is no exception. Hollywood likes that. Eddie Redmayne got nominated for the Danish Girl. That is the progressive gender politics lane, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the LGBTQIA lane. That that Eddie Red, Redmayne Danish Girl. That's that's almost always a lane. Um, last year we had, or a couple years ago we had. Um, we had Matthew McConaughey for Dallas Buyers Club that was dealing with mm-hmm. you know AIDS and things of that nature. We almost every year we have someone who's in the sort of LGBTQ lane that's doing something new with that kind of a thing. Um, and in the supporting actor, we had um, who's the Thirty Seconds to Mars guy? Oh, um, Leto, Jared Leto. Yeah, Jared and he, Leto. And he won. He won for a transgender performance that was controversial. But almost every year. You're going to get someone in either the best actor or best actress. So you're going to get that lane. So this year, Eddie Redmayne is, oh, oh last year it was uh, The Imitation Game, Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm-hmm. So that was the LGBT, you know, lane. I actually saw posters that said, honor the man, honor the movie, like in L.A. That was yeah. like Weinstein just getting super political and being like, if you think this guy shouldn't have been basically killed because he was gay, you should vote for, for my movie, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty pretty crass but yeah it's pretty a uh, little insensitive but <laughs> yeah sure. yeah so you have the hollywood talking about itself lane you have the lgbtqia lane um and then you have some mainstreamish you have leonardo, leonardo dicaprio in the we hate you but you're pretty good at acting and you always team up with the best directors kind of mainstream oscar bait lane you have matt damon in the ah oh, matt damon made a movie and it's pretty good and like everyone kind of likes it and he shows off a lot of range in this movie and he's a movie star he's a legitimate movie star who mm-hmm. is also a good actor that lane uh and then you have michael fassbender in the biopic lane there's almost always a biopic he's he was in steve jobs mm-hmm. um so there's almost always some kind of biopic lane uh whether it's you know about someone who's famous or someone who's infamous so whether it is for Steve Jobs or whether it's American Sniper or whether it's the Wolf of Wall Street or whether it is another movie telling, you know, Moneyball or whatever. There's always some kind of biopic, 127 hours. So those are your lanes. And those got filled up yeah. this year by a bunch of white dudes. And I understand why it's upsetting. Like, I understand why it's upsetting. But that lane one year was taken over by Jamie Foxx for Ray. That, mm-hmm. You know, that biopic lane. Another year, it was Joaquin Phoenix for Johnny Cash, you know, Walk the Line. Um, another year, it was Denzel Washington for Hurricane, about Hurricane Carter. I mean, the biopic lane gets filled up by usually the best biopic. Mm-hmm. And the big Hollywood movie that has some acting talent who are also movie stars, that gets filled up every year. Sometimes that's a movie that has people of color in it. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, you could argue that Crash was kind of that movie the year that it won, but although it was a bunch of different things, it was kind of a mess, but, um, that's how it works. You have lanes, you have, you have constituencies. There are people who will almost always vote for something that is fighting for gay rights or for transgender rights or whatever. You'll have something that's almost always fighting for, um, you know, small film, indie Euro sensibility kind of a thing. You'll almost always have someone doing a biopic. Yeah, Foxcatcher was another one. You almost mm-hmm. always have someone doing a big budget movie. That's that's that got a lot of attention like the Martian who, that also was well acted. So that's where you're going to get every year. And so for me, it's like, 
the failure of the last two years to nominate a single black actor in any of these 20 slots. So, so that's 40 total slots because no, yeah, it's 40 cause it's no, 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 it's 20 cause it's five, five, no, cause it's men and women. So it's 20 and 20. So it's 40. Mm-hmm. So the failure to nominate a single black actor in any of these 40 slots, it could be math. It could be sample size. It could be whatever, but most likely it's because there's not as many movies with black characters being made as would be representative. Yes. And, and that's, and that's the crux, you know, for me. Like, I'm sorry, let me add, there's not as many Oscar type movies being made with, because like Tyler Perry is mm-hmm. making a movie or two every year. Yeah. But there's not going to be Oscar bait usually. Yeah. And I think that's where how we go about this problem really comes into play. Um, so, for example, I think I, I was I was reading a, dis- a discussion on this, and there is you know how there's pilot seasons coming up. Yeah. And in the beginning of February, middle fe- of February, February casting directors. You know, let the actors and actresses know who made it and who who didn't for these pilots that are being filmed. And yeah. I think I was I was listening to a black actress talk about it, and she said, "Well, for African American people, pilot seasons actually, in terms of casting, is more in March because what happens is these casting directors cast their entire shows, and then they bring it to the producers, and the producers say." Oh my gosh, we don't have like a diversity factor. Yeah. So I need we you need to go back and like recast somebody. Yeah. And that normally happens in the first week of March. So then they'll get all these calls in that. And she was just kind of talking about how frustrating it is that February is like empty for her and then March is when all the stuff starts coming up and then you start getting these roles where um the three people who are interviewing her which sounds more like a like a panel uh then like an interview um we're just like yeah and then you start getting these roles where you know it'll be a black actor but like why why is he even black like why does he need to be black and they brought up star wars yeah and they were like so finn in star wars why like why does he need to be black and Part of me was like, okay, yeah, I guess that can kind of make sense. But then as I thought about it, I was like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Yeah, Michael because... B. Jordan has said the exact opposite. He yeah. said he wants more roles where the character doesn't have to be black because they're not playing like a slave in the in, like um, mm-hmm. Django Unchained. They're not playing mm-hmm. a butler. They're not even playing an up and coming black, you know, athlete, star, business person, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like Michael B. Jordan wants to compete head to head with, with you know white actors. He he wants yeah. parts that he wants parts to go to him and other young uh, black male actors that would have gone to Leonardo DiCaprio or would have gone to Matt Damon or would have gone to whoever the younger versions. I know I'm saying older white guys, but you know yeah. like like ten years ago would have gone to these guys. Like Michael B. Jordan is making the exact opposite argument of this of the actress you're you're citing. Yeah. And, and and that's what really confused me. So I, I think what they're kind of saying is these roles shouldn't, you shouldn't just, they're kind of bemoaning the fact that it's an afterthought, which I think is bad. I think yeah. any institution that's like, oh, well, we need diversity, so mm-hmm. 
let's just go find somebody yes, like tokenism. I, yeah. It's tokenism, but at the same time, I think it's hard to avoid tokenism when you complain about a character like Finn existing. So the complaints they did, it almost came off as they haven't even seen the film. Because they were like, what about Finn would identify him as a black man? You know, like, how is this not just, he's a white, his character is white, and the actor just happens to be black. And my thought was, wait, okay, hold on a second. This is like a fictional... It's a galaxy far, far away. He, He wouldn't... No one should have anything that identifies them as an American. Like, no one's been formed type. by jazz. Yeah. <laughs> jazz no. hasn't existed. Slavery hasn't... Well, slavery has existed, but it's a much different form of it that isn't race-related normally. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, by race, you mean, like, yeah. different species of North sentient American beings. chattel slavery never existed yeah. on Tatooine. So, all of these things... It's like how, I mean, would you want him to play that? And they brought up Mace Windu and about how they, like, limited who Samuel Jackson could be. Yeah. And it wasn't the Samuel Jackson that we wanted. And it's like, well, I mean, in all honesty, like, we don't, I don't need the normal Samuel Jackson in space. Yeah. Especially, I mean, if it was, like, a American space mission to Mars, then sure, he can do that because there would be people like him, maybe. Yeah there but in in as a jedi master you know and this is getting really nerdy but i don't need him to say you know mother whatever yeah. every sentence because i don't think they i don't know if they would say that or yeah not. i don't know so, that mace windu would say that yeah so there's like this whole element of uh what michael b jordan said where it's like either we get it's kind of like the lose lose thing Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, like, so if the Academy suddenly came out with a secret rule that no one knew about except the voters, where it's like, in your ballot list of the top ten films, one of them, at least, has to have a black mm-hmm. actor in it. Mm-hmm. If they did that, okay, would would that, wouldn't, would that be worse or would that be good? Because would it just be tokenism again? Yeah. Where well, it's and like, this is a real yeah. problem in everyday life, because, like... Some of my friends who are African-American or from Africa, I have friends who are just African, um, mm-hmm. they just want me to talk to them, treat them like I would anybody else, right? Just like, yeah. talk to me, treat me, don't think about the fact that I'm black, just like like when we're being honest and talking about race and really having these conversations, it's like, mm-hmm. just just treat me the same. Say whatever you would say to somebody else. And then other people are like, no, don't treat me like I'm white, don't pretend that racism doesn't exist, like... Like, let's actually put this on the table and know that there are power dynamics because you're a white man, I'm a black woman, whatever it is, right? And so mm-hmm. those two tensions are present all the time for anybody who's even kind of aware of race. Yeah. Is, on the one hand, you want to treat everybody equally, but then sometimes that's called whitewashing mm-hmm. or it's called racism without racists. Now, on the other hand, if you put it on the table all the time and you talk about it all the time and you're really aware of it, how can you just be with people? How can you... How can you treat somebody fairly, whatever that means. How can, how can you treat someone? How can you just be friends with somebody if you're always negotiating this, this kind of, well, there's these power dynamics. Like I, like I know someone would say, well, you're a white male, so you don't have to think about it. And black people Mm -hmm. have to think about it all the time. So I guess maybe that's part of the answer to the question, but these are two very real tensions of what my friends who are African-American or African have told me. They've said to me different things like, Hey, just like, 
I just want to be a person to you. And then another person saying, yeah, but you have to acknowledge, like we always have to be acknowledging that our relationship is colored by the fact that one of us is this and one of us is that. So, I mean, yeah. it's tough. It's tough in a, on a, in a personal level. It's not tough for me. I, it, I feel bad, you know, it's not, I'm not complaining, but I just feel bad. I feel bad that there's not like a solution of, well, just like everybody don't have any biases, you know, Yeah. on one hand or everybody like, Hey, let's have tokenism. Let's include mm-hmm. black people in every category every year just to make up for the fact that they've been excluded and i don't think that's what many people are actually asking for i think some maybe jada jada pick and smith is but but people like wesley mm-hmm. morris and michael b jordan are asking for deeper changes that you know for for hollywood to take more chances on black writers and black directors and black producers so that there are oh. more legit contenders for these kinds of awards yeah, and I, I think what you said earlier is very true. The real tragedy is the fact that um, the studios involved with Creed, you know, I can understand the studios involved with uh, Straight Outta Compton being like, we don't know if this movie's even going to work. And yeah. it has a lim- initially, it has a limited release. And by the way, get, get, get ready for like the next 10 rap biopic movies to yeah. come out because it was so successful and everybody has mm-hmm. to copy everything in Hollywood. You will see a bunch of worse versions of Straight Outta Compton, I guarantee you, in the next yeah. five years. All that to say, so I can understand why they were like, let's not do too much campaigning. We're not even sure if it's going to be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that, um, which is sad. Anyways, but with Creed, it's like this is one of those like tough luck sport movies. It has a good director. It is almost Oscar baity with mm-hmm. the amount of sports movies that have been like Oscar geared mm-hmm. in in the last decade. Yeah. Um, but the fact that there was no screeners, mm-hmm. no mailers. Yeah, no promotional material, and then Sly Stallone gets some buzz, and now he's nominated for Best Supporting Actor because he is mm-hmm. Rocky, mm-hmm. and this is his—you know—he's the face of the franchise. Like, but he's white. <laughs> yeah, and and then and then that brings up a whole other like pity, or like awards ceremonies that are like, well, we're really giving this to someone for another reason, but it's, it, yeah. this is a good Lifetime excuse. achievement awards or makeups. Like there mm-hmm. are, there are people, I'll give you a couple. Um, there are a couple people who have won Academy awards for things to kind of make up for the fact that they didn't win yeah. Academy awards in previous years. Kind of like a, Hey, we know that you're really, really good. And we're going to give you Jeff Bridges won for crazy heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was good in Crazy Heart, but yeah. because they didn't, because he didn't win for The Big Lebowski. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And The Wrestler. And the and the other things where he was like, oh, by the way, I'm like, wait, was he in The Wrestler? I'm getting... No, the Wrestler is a Mickey Rourke. Oh, sorry. I'm getting my disgustingly disfigured, long hair, older man yeah, yeah, characters yeah, 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 confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. But yeah. like The Big Lebowski, it, it's exactly what you said. It's kind of like the OJ trial where it's like... The second one, where it's like, okay, so... We messed up this. We kind of know Mm -hmm. some things, you know. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, not the whole other fact that we didn't even get into, where it's like, does he really need a nomination for Creed? Probably not if we're looking at the movie by itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably if we're looking at someone who's made, like, a cultural icon after playing a barely literate 
boxer for a long time. I mean, the whole the whole thing with me in what you were saying and what we're talking about with 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 tokenism is we really need to decide how long we think this is going to take because our or just give ourselves some rough estimates, you know. So if we want this to change now and like everyone needs to be upset now and next year's Oscars are going to be different, then it's going to be tokenism, period. Yeah. Like and how could it not be? Like out of all the flack that the Academy has gotten this year, and if people really do boycott it and there's you know, blah 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 more stuff going on. By the way, Chris and, Chris Rock is hosting, so I'm very interested to see how he how he approaches this. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um which like where has he been? Why is he on stage? Um not sure. That's a whole other topic. But if that happens, then of course next year I almost know for a fact that the voters are going to be more likely mm -hmm. to include people of color. In well, yeah, and, and here's here's my here's always been my question. Like my my, it's a little bit of a messy question, but it's mm -hmm. you know, is everybody racist all the time? Because yeah. if the solution is adding more black voters, if the solution to there's not enough black people being nominated is to add more black voters, then the answer to the question, is everybody racist all the time, is yes. Yeah. Because the, if the only way to get more black people to get nominated is to add more black people to the academy, that just means that you think white people will not ever fairly vote for black people and that black people will not ever fairly vote for white people, yeah. by the way. <laughs> That's also part of this, is you're just basically saying you know, we vote for people that look like us. We vote for people that remind us of ourselves. And what does that mean for like politics? You know, if mm -hmm. you really, if you really want to, if you want to say, well, you know, that means that evangelicals only vote for evangelicals. That means that black people only ever vote for black people, you know, if given the option, obviously. Yeah. And so basically what this means is this is tribalism. It's what you've called the new tribalism, which is, mm -hmm. you know, we're only going to vote for someone who reminds us of ourself and not for someone that we think did the best job. And so, like, I think maybe one of the best, best actor wins in, in the last 15 years is Denzel Washington for Training Day. Mm -hmm. But I have nothing in common with that character. So probably, like, if I were an Academy voter, I should have voted for Russell Crowe, A Beautiful Mind. You know, because, oh, yeah. you know, a smart person that's white and looks like me. You know, but if I'm an Academy member and I, you know, how, like my, I guess my question is how did Denzel Washington win if the presupposition of our, of our, our movements is that everyone's racist? Like how did Denzel Washington win for yeah. training day? And that creates, that introduces a huge double standard when it comes to award ceremony stuff. So... Um, recently, this is a little bit more trivial, but I think a great example recently, um, at the MTV music awards, which is just a shining mm -hmm. pillar of City cultural achievement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, very elite, very well-respected. Um, it was noted by a, uh, Dr. Nicki Minaj, mm -hmm. PhD. Um, PhD that, there that Taylor Swift got all these nominations mm -hmm. and she didn't get any, you know, mm -hmm. because Taylor Which, Swift is a white woman. 
Yeah, because Taylor Swift is a white woman and she's super skinny. That's mm-hmm. a huge thing. Mm-hmm. And Nicki Minaj, as you know, represents what I know are heavy set women. Like when I think of mm-hmm. an overweight woman, I think of Nicki Minaj's mm-hmm. body type yeah. for Let's sure. Her seven plastic surgeries. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that was really negative. But anyways, the discussion was, you know, the only reason that this person was not nominated is because of political factors that absolutely got in her way. And if they were gone, she would have been there. However, by that very same reasoning, the only reason Denzel Washington was nominated mm-hmm. was because of political factors that he had nothing to do with either. But what what is what is said is, I got here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's this weird thing of, like, when I lose, it's not my fault. It's mm-hmm. outside of my control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when I win, it's because of – it's only because of my mm-hmm. dedication and my achievement. Exactly. And this is something that's been said more and more by white people, black people, whatever people in the mm-hmm. last few generations – where psychologically as a, as a culture, this is an argument I'm making and you can disagree mm-hmm. with it. As a culture, we've, we've placed the, the, the locus of responsibility far outside of ourselves, but the locus of achievement within ourselves. So, so yeah. I think this is something that's happening across demographic lines, across, you know, um, industries, categories, um, you know, places where people are achieving things. So for me, this is a cultural problem where we go, well, whenever something bad happens to me, it's happening to me. Mm-hmm. Whenever good, something good happens to me, I made that happen. Yeah. Which I just think is a really interesting way to look at life. And coming back to the sample size argument, just really quickly. If you took the sample size of 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006. So 2001 through 2006, it's a six year run. Mm-hmm. Best actor, wins were Denzel Washington, Adrian Brody, Sean Penn, Jamie Foxx, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Forrest Whitaker. So out of six years, three of the winners were African-American. So that's 50% of the time. Mm -hmm. Like mathematically speaking, if that was a sample size that we wanted to take seriously, we would say, whoa, man, like we're so enlightened. We're so, you know, look, 13% of the population is representing 50% of the wins in this category which obviously we wouldn't do because that's cherry picking and it's insulting mm-hmm. to tell a black person, Hey, look how equal you have it because you got one president and you got three best actor winners in six years in the Academy. Yeah. Like, that's not fair. It's not fair to tell somebody, Hey, look how good you have it. But I also think that the standard should apply when we're talking about two years running where you don't get black nominees. It's like, Hey, like maybe next year is going to be like a really good year for you. Yeah. And maybe the protests, the deeper protests, the ones I agree with about Hollywood not being represented enough of black people, and in particular, in my opinion, women, maybe those protests will lead to more opportunities, actual opportunities. Because at the end of the day, one and we haven't even brought this up, really, one of the reasons people value these awards is because it boosts their career. Yeah. And even if there were no award given, but they still got the benefits to their career of winning these awards, I think most actors, actresses, directors, producers would be fine with that. Because mm-hmm. what they, most of them really care about, I mean, we all care about a mixed bag of things, but, but at the core of them, most of these people have worked their whole life to do these things because they love doing it and they want to be good mm-hmm. at it and they want to be recognized for it in, in terms of payment, jobs, opportunities. And so I would say that, that the thing that most actors, actresses, composers, directors that I know, they would say, hey, if I never got an award, but I got lots of opportunities to make the stuff that I want to make, I'd be happy. 
Yeah. And so I think that's the that's the sort of protests and the calls for change that I've really identified with. You know, as as someone who's married to a woman, a female composer, where she's she's a woman, she's fifty percent of the population. You know, women are, and they're two percent of film composers of major films. So it's mm-hmm. like so it's like if you want to talk about being underrepresented, I get it. Like I, I absolutely understand what it's like to love somebody who is super underrepresented in the cultural zeitgeist in, or in the industry in which they've chosen. So for me, yeah, I want black people to get more opportunities to make the movies they want. I want Asian Americans to get more opportunities. We haven't even talked about Latin Americans and whether or not they're properly represented uh, in politi- mm-hmm. uh, you know, the political kind of game of Hollywood. And another discussion we should have sometimes sometime is the level of representation of African Americans in music in the United States. Because I think there's an argument to be made that they have been a lot more um, influential. And I think for good reason, I think Africans and African-Americans have brought an incredible uh, culture altering musical movements to American music. Um, But that's another discussion. But the point is this, like, not everybody gets equally re- represented in everything. And we should be fighting towards a fairer marketplace that allows different people to have more opportunities rather than, and I'm just repeating the argument that you said earlier, rather than fighting for a more equal distribution of awards based on quotas. Yeah. Because we all know quota systems get really weird really quickly. Yeah. When they're, there's, yeah. Un, uh, what, do, what do we call that? Unforeseen consequences kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think summing it up for me, just the sample size thing again, it's been two years. Let's calm down a second. And and the other side of it being representation should have very, very little to do with actual population um, demographics in my mind, because really it not only depends on having good programs, you know, so I'm sure we can say there's not as many well-trained black actors who have gone through the Yale school of acting and have spent two years in a Shakespeare company in this in London or whatever, because of the impact of institutional racism in America. Yeah. And I would say the same about women film composers like Jessica, was one of just a couple of females and sometimes the only female in some of her Berkeley film scoring classes. Uh, and if the educational establishments are dominated by a certain group, the professional establishment will for much longer be dominated by that same group. Yeah. And so I think those are all very relevant um, concerns uh, when we talk about this, but there's also this weird slippery element of human agency. Yeah. You know, so right now, for example, in the literary world, the most dominant, 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 uh, people group, uh, publishing novels, receiving awards, um, getting contracts with major publishing houses are white elderly women. So, why is that the case? Who knows? And I'm sure we can find institutional systematic reasons to say 40 to 60 year old women have this and this and this and this and this, and and that's why they can write novels better 
are at least are in the market for novel writing right now. Are you saying 40-year-old women are elderly? (laughs) No, but I think that that's like the lowest. That's that's the youngest. That's funny that you said elderly, then you said 40. Well, it's like they, I meant to say 40 or 60-year-old women of the last decade. Yeah. So like a woman being 40 at 1990. Yeah. And now she's 66. Yeah. Um, or whatever. Uh, so sorry, that's a slip of tongue. I do not think that 40 year old women are elderly as exampled by Gillian Anderson in the most recent X-File reboot episodes. Um, oh, do but... you know, um, oh, sorry. Never mind. No, it was, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's totally, it's totally off track. I don't need to talk yeah. about this right now. <laughs> but what I was, what I was going to say is there's an, also there's an argument to be made that perhaps, you know, this could also be a reality. Tin, Women, through weird circumstances, maybe they had a great English teacher, Mm -hmm. maybe their dads left them an inheritance. Mm -hmm. Maybe Maybe they they read a bunch of books. Maybe they were a successful businesswoman and then they retired early and they had a chance to do this. Whatever, maybe just 10 women were born into our time right now who are better Mm -hmm. writers than white men. Right Maybe they are dominating literature departments, you know, or were 30 years ago, they were just better students in literature departments or they were more represented because like we've gotten to the place where for many, many years now, there are more women in college than men. Yeah. So anything that takes college as part of its bar to entry, Mm -hmm. you would expect to start to tilt back towards women. And I guess what I, I, it's a, it's a weird argument I'm making, but at the same time, it's just, there's, when it comes down to huge, uh, time periods and looking at actors and actresses, our painters, our composers, our writers, we tend to think of 10 at most for a couple of decades. So we'll look back and be like Marlon Brando and, you know, insert four other actors, maybe. And that's like classic Hollywood. In reality, there were probably 50 yeah. well-paid actors walking around doing yeah. stuff and whatever. And just like now there are tons of actors and I'm sure from the nineties, we remember like Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio as like a 20 year old towards the end, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. But there were tons of actors walking around doing mm-hmm. stuff at the time. Mm-hmm. And with such a small sample size, so let's say <laughs> five people, it personal ambition also has to be a factor and I'm not, and I'm not saying that African American actors and actresses don't have personal ambition as a race or like as a racial trait, but that there there are movements of things, you know. So in the early 1920s, there was this huge explosion of African American men who were very very interested and dedicated to jazz, and yeah. as the 40s went on, that went away to yeah. a to a larger extent and i think there's just some movements just like in the early 2000s there was a huge explosion of straight white male 20 late 20s early 30s male uh novelists like jonathan franzen and and Mm -hmm. that group of like new puritan Mm -hmm. weird stylistic things dave eggers and all those guys yeah they just kind of rose together and they fed off of each other yeah and i would be i would want to harlem renaissance things like that the romantic. Well, and I would say right now, movements. like the big, yeah. the big movement that's happening right now is Spanish or Mexican directors. 
mm-hmm. are like doing really well. Whether it's Inuritu, whether it's uh, Guillermo del Toro, and like they're all their their people, like um, the composer Gustavo Santaolalla, uh, or whether mm-hmm. it's you know Gustavo Dudamel. Uh, there's this like there's this like cadre of of like probably thirty five to fifty five year old. Mexican, Mexican American, Spanish, Spanish American dudes who all know each other, who encourage each other, who competed with each other. And there's probably economic mm-hmm. reasons and there's probably cultural reasons and educational reasons, but there's like these cartels, right? That like kind of ri- raise up, whether it was like when Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire and their whole, their whole crew was coming up. It does. It happens in waves. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see people get momentum and it comes and goes and it happens with comedy uh, right now we're in the very confessional comedians, comedian kind of Louis C.K. Mark uh, Marin kind of a, a phase, mm-hmm. uh, and pretty soon it might go back to like being dominated by the deaf comedy gym, you know, kind of comedians. Yeah. So, so you don't you don't know. And I'm not just trying to complicate it, but I I think that in a Rawlsian sense, which I know we've been bringing him up a lot recently, um, but Rawls. Yeah, in a Rawlsian sense, I would say. I would want to live in a society where if one of those natural movements does happen, you know, like let's say there's a new generation of African-American screenwriters. Well, let's just say right now we are being dominated right now by British actors, black actors, white actors, Asian actors, but they're all British. They all trained in London or the surrounding areas. America is being dominated by British and Commonwealth actors. That's a real movement that's really happening. And people are like, where are all the American actors? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was just saying, I I just want to be in a a situation where it, where if there was a group, you know, like, let's say there's a new artistic movement of young African-American screenwriters who were developing their talent, had some really great ideas, had some really good execution I wouldn't want to be in a system where it would be unbelievably hard for them compared to a group of white young generation of screenwriters to come up. Like there, there shouldn't be the access to creativity, to achievement that path should be smoothed out as much as possible. And that doesn't include creating token situations where we need a black screenwriter. So let's just find one um, or like yeah. stuff like that. And so I guess what I'm really trying to say is the whole thing is a mixture of time, is a mixture of other events, a mixture of politics, and a mixture of personal ambition and just someone being born into the right time at the right place with the right talent Mm -hmm. to do something. And so I think trying to reduce it down to these weird statistics of like, Who's being represented? How many years has it been? Yeah. When are we going to see change? Really, mm-hmm. um, just yeah. Using award shows as a measure of progress might not be the best way to go. Yeah. Just like when people are like, "We have a black president now. That's awesome," but like it doesn't mean racism's over. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is cool that we were able to elect a black president and that we're not that racist that we like totally rejected a young, talented politician who was good at making speeches and his campaign was really well run like he had all the things that you would want a politician to have um mm-hmm. to get elected right like he he was he was he was he was great in terms of like running for office 
but like that doesn't mean it doesn't mean that no one's racist and it doesn't mean everyone's racist like it's there's yeah. it's not it doesn't give you a really good um measuring stick and so i would i would say walking away from this one i think hollywood ought to be more representative because they ought to be more open-minded towards actors directors writers composers whomever they ought to be more open to different kinds of people that aren't just dominated by like old white dudes. I think they should be open to whatever's good, whatever, you know, whatever art people are making that might come from a a cool perspective that they Mm -hmm. had never, I think beast of the Southern wild was freaking awesome. That that was was an awesome movie from a totally different perspective made in Louisiana from the perspective of a young black girl. I think that's the kind of stuff. And that's why I'm glad sun Sundance and Tribeca and Cannes and all the other film festivals exist to kind of get more of that stuff to get recognized. And, and I just, I hope for more of that, for more openness, for less do- domination by one group of people. But I hope it's somewhat based on merit and I hope it's not totally dominated by politics. And I hope it's not according to quotas. I hope it's because, you know, Chiwetel Ejiofor was awesome in 12 Years a Slave. I hope, you know, mm-hmm. I hope it, it's because, you know, because ex actor or ex writer or whoever, I, I hope Ryan Coogler continues to get really great job opportunities because he's an awesome director, not because he's black. Um, yeah. And I know that makes me sound like I'm whitewashing it. I know it makes me sound like I'm doing the whole best person should get the job. But what I'm saying is like, strike a balance here. Let's strike a balance between being aware that these industries have been dominated by old white guys for a long time, but also being aware that the reason that people go and see movies is because they think that they're good mm-hmm. or well-made or meaningful. And, and that they're saying, they're saying something important and saying it artfully. So like, I would try to just hold those two things in tension. I agree with you. So back to the chart in the book at the beginning of Dead Poet Society. Yeah. Um, all right. I think we've said enough about that. Probably made enough people angry or wandered around for enough time um, talking about that. Do we have any idea what we're talking about for next week's episode? Um, well, I it had, I, I, I think it has to do with X-Files. Oh, does it? Yeah, because I think we're talking about conspiracy black holes. Oh my gosh, are we talking about conspiracy theories? We are. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Yeah. Man, conspiracy theories are my favorite. Um, So we'll talk about the X-Files. We will talk about... um, 9-11 was an inside job. Jet fuel can't melt steel beams. Oh, there's a movie at uh, that was at Sundance that people are really liking about um, the moon landing being fake. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be really entertaining. Um, so we can talk about that. We can talk about what else? The conspiracy of Bernie Sanders not winning Iowa, which is a really yeah. favorite conspiracy right now about queen We're, flips and such. Yeah. We're going to talk about the dark, dark recesses of YouTube. And gonna, what yeah. <laughs> and what can be found there if you yeah, have what, ears to ears and eyes to see? Yeah, if you get into a YouTube <laughs> conspiracy theory uh, black hole like you're talking about. So we're going to talk about black holes, uh, real uh, not real black holes, but YouTube black holes. We're going <laughs> to talk about amazing conspiracy theories. We're going to talk about the X-Files, Return of the X-Files, so it's going to be a good week. But for today, for now, uh, this has been Ryan. And Nick. And we will see you next time. Well, we won't see you at all. But you'll hear from us. So bye. Bye.